Well, church, it's good to be with you. For those of you that are here with us at the downtown campus, thank you so much for fighting the traffic this morning and the marathon. Um, pretty, pretty much evidence that you're saved and you're going to heaven. So good news for you. Um, and for those of you that are joining us at a different campus, we're glad you're also with us here this morning. <clears throat> we're, uh, we're finishing our series, as I said, in the prayer uh, on our hard sayings of Jesus, which I've really enjoyed preaching. And, and I know Aaron and, and Tyler were part of this too. I hope you've enjoyed hearing this. Um, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 43 through 45 today, Matthew 5. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Scriptures will be behind me on the screen. You know, one of the callings that we have on our life as a follower of Jesus, um, and Jesus said this to us, he said that we are to be the light of the world. You know, and what that basically means is that as believers, we're to live our lives in such a way that we are, <coughs> we're a contrast to the darkness and the evil that's in this world. And the way that we live, people are to be able to see the way that we live, and then this to be a contrast, a difference to the world. And, and one of the ways that I am seeing um, darkness and evil and sin manifest itself in this world, maybe more than any other time in my lifetime that I'm aware of, is through hate. It's through hate. <clears throat> maybe any other time in my lifetime that I can remember, there seems to be more hatred of man towards his fellow man. Anytime I can remember, and I don't, I don't think I need to go through a bunch of examples this morning on how that's happening in our world. If you've been paying attention at all, you know that it's happening. And so as believers, <clears throat> one of the ways that we are called to be the light of the world and, and to contrast that evil and that darkness is not also like the world to be people of hate but to be people of love, be people of love. Now, when I say that, that sounds super easy and it sounds super obvious, but it's a lot easier said than it is done, which is why what we're looking at today is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. So let's read this together. Matthew chapter five, verse 43. This is Jesus speaking He's in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, he says, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. <clears throat> Let me read that one more time, verse 43. <clears throat> you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father Who's in heaven. Now, again, Jesus is saying these words uh, during the Sermon on the Mount. And during the Sermon on the Mount, he makes what is literally a radical statement. It was a radical statement at that time. It's a radical statement today. He says <coughs> that we are not supposed to be people, as, as followers of Christ, as children of God, we're not supposed to be people that hate our enemies. But as followers of Christ and, 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 and followers of God, we're to be people that love our enemies. Now, I want to kind of begin this sermon by asking this question. Why is that statement of Jesus so radical? Why is that such a radical statement? Why is that considered a hard saying of Jesus? And I think this is the answer. 
And I want you to hear this because loving your enemy is absolutely 100% contrary to your fallen nature. Every single one of us is born a sinner. <clears throat> and apart from God, we have this fallen nature. And you loving your enemy is literally contrary to that fallen nature. When somebody offends you, when somebody hurts you, when somebody betrays you, when somebody causes some sort of injustice to you, think about it. Is it your natural, instinctual first response to love them in return? Well, of course not. The answer is no. And so that's what makes this statement of Jesus so radical, right? What makes it so difficult, hear this, it's almost impossible to do in your own power. It's almost impossible to do in your own power. <clears throat> There's a lot of things you can do in your own power. I mean, some of the things we've even taught about, you can, you can not be a believer and kind of train yourself not to be anxious. You cannot be a believer and you can actually be generous with your money. There, there's a lot of things that you as a human being can do in your own power, but loving your enemy, loving your enemy is just something that the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of people simply will not do apart from the life-changing supernatural power of God in your life. Okay, it's just something you won't do. And I've seen this in my own life. <clears throat> I'm saved. I believe that with all my heart. I love the Lord. I've seen the evidence of the Spirit in my life. I believe with all my heart I'm saved. I'm a follower of Christ. And this commandment of Jesus, love your enemies, this is a hard one for me. Um, I, you know, I'm going to tell a couple of stories today about kind of how God has gone to work in my life through this. But <clears throat> one, of the, one of the ways that I've seen this be so contrary to my flesh was on 9-11. And for those of you in the room that are old enough <clears throat> to have lived through that, you know exactly what you were doing on that day. Um, you know, if y'all were here last week, remember I've kind of have a military background from the Corps of Cadets. And so I came really, really close actually to going into the military out of college. I mean, it came really close. And so spent four years of my life playing Army. That's just what we did. And so when September 11 happened, and I, I, was, I was watching the TV when the second plane hit the tower my first gut response in that moment was not to pray for my enemies. I mean, and, and, and as soon as I saw it hit, I knew it was a terrorist attack. I mean, I, I literally looked at my wife and I said, this is a terrorist attack. My first initial response was not to pray for my enemy. My, my initial gut response was not to love Al-Qaeda, right? That was not my initial response. And as the day progressed, I was on staff at a church in the Woodlands, Texas, and we were having a church service that evening on September 11th to get the church together and pray. And the lead pastor, right before we went in there, he was like kind of, he had all the pastors in a circle and he was divvying up the different responsibilities that we were going to do, have that night during the service on 9-11. And he like looks at one of the pastors and he said, hey, I want you to pray for the victim's families. And he looked at another pastor and said, hey, pray for our leaders, uh, for our country's leaders. He looked at another guy and said, pray for protection for our country. And then he looked at me and he said, Matt, I want you to pray for our enemies. And I looked back at him and his name was Rob. And I was like, Rob, I just don't think I can do that right now. And he, I guess he saw the look on my face because he said, you're right, Matt, you don't pray for our enemies. Bob, you pray <laughs> for our enemies, Matt. You pray for whatever. Because that was like the last thing, the last thing on my mind that I wanted to do. 
Now, again, a lot of y'all probably can relate to that if you lived through 9-11. And, and God has actually done a, a, a big work on my heart in regards to stuff like this I'll talk about here in a little while. But the point I'm trying to make <coughs> is that loving your enemies is contrary. It's like 100% contrary to the natural desires of your flesh. And that's why it makes it so hard. Now, I just want to kind of stop right here and let me make this caveat about this sermon is that I don't believe that what Jesus is teaching here is that we don't defend ourselves as a country. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think that Jesus is teaching that we don't protect the innocent. I don't think he's teaching that war is never justified. Um, I'm just simply telling you that particular story to show you how contrary loving my enemies is to my flesh. Okay, so let's jump back into the text. And here's what we're going to see Jesus do today. He's going to share with us that it's the heart of God that we love our enemy. Okay, that's the first thing he's going to do. Second thing he's going to do is he's going to actually tell us how. Okay, it's not some nebulous thing. There's ways that we're supposed to love our enemies. We're going to see how to do that. And then lastly, and maybe most importantly, Jesus is going to tell us why. There's a reason that we're called to do this. We're not just supposed to be nice people as Christians. There's a very specific reason God wants us to do this. Those are what we see and then we'll be done. So let's read, uh, go back to verse 43. Let's look at the heart of God. For, for loving our enemies. In verse 43, Jesus said, and again, he's speaking here, and he said, you have heard it said, <clears throat> you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I want you to look at that statement there. You have heard that it was said. Now, why did he say that? Why did Jesus start it off with, you've heard that it was said? Well, what, you have to remember, he's speaking this in the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> And one of the things that Jesus did throughout the Sermon on the Mount, listen, is he was contrasting the false righteousness of the Pharisees and their teaching to the people and the true righteousness of God. He was contrasting those two things. And so several times on the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus would do is he'd say, I know you've heard it taught this way. He was referring to the Pharisees. I know you've heard it said this way. But that's not the heart of God. This is the heart of God. And then he would teach the truth of the heart of God. And so that's what Jesus is doing. And listen, there was no teaching. There was no teaching that the Pharisees were, were teaching that, was, that had probably strayed farther from the heart of God than their teaching on love. Okay? <clears throat> their teaching on love had just completely jumped the shark from God's heart. All right? And so there were two ways that the teaching of the Pharisees um, were missing God's heart, specifically on the issue of love. And the first one is this. The Pharisees were missing the heart of God on the issue of love first through what they were omitting in their teaching. They were omitting something in their teaching. All right? So Jesus, look at the verse here. Jesus says, the Pharisees have been teaching you, you shall love your neighbor. Okay, now that sounds good, right? But... There was a critical part of that biblical teaching that the Pharisees were omitting. <clears throat> There's a critical part of that teaching of the scripture that the Pharisees were leaving out. And don't turn there, but I'm going I'm to show you Leviticus 19.18, the original teaching in the Old Testament that the Pharisees would have taken from. Let me read this to you. This is God speaking. He says, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, <clears throat> but... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they would have absolutely known this verse. They had to have it memorized. Okay? They would have known Leviticus. They would have known the entirety of it. 
But when they were teaching loving your neighbor to the people, when they were conveniently leaving out some parts of that verse. They left out, do not take vengeance. They left out, do not bear any grudge. And maybe most importantly, they left out, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, it was, it was inconceivable to the Pharisees that they could love anybody as much as they loved themselves. And so when the Pharisees were teaching this concept of love, they were teaching a massively watered down version of God's heart for it. Does that make sense? So they were, they were missing the heart of God on the issue of loving people by what they were admitting. <clears throat> there was another thing they were doing. The Pharisees in their teaching were completely missing the heart of God on also what they were adding. They were adding something to God's heart on love. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 again. Jesus says, you've heard it said. In other words, the Pharisees are teaching you that you shall love your neighbor. Now watch what it says next. It says, and hate your enemy. Pharisees were teaching that to the people. And that's what, that's what everybody else in the world was doing. It's the natural propensity of our flesh. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's what the Pharisees were teaching. Love your neighbor, not too much, but love your neighbor. But it's totally okay to hate your enemy. What they were doing is they were going to some Old Testament passages about how to treat foreigners and foreign gods. They were misconstruing them, teaching them out of context, and they were telling all the people of God, hey, it's completely cool. Matter of fact, this is what God wants his people to do. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Now, <coughs> just is that the heart of God? Because when I was thinking about that, I was like, okay, well, maybe in the Old Testament, it's not clear that God doesn't want us to hate our enemies. But then you go in and you look at the Old Testament, it's absolutely clear, the heart of God. Don't turn there. Let me just read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 1. This is God again speaking. <coughs> it says, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and does not know, or you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it and then you shall return to it. And so God in, in the Old Testament is like, hey, if your brother loses an ox, give it back to him. If, if you don't know where your brother is, hold on to his ox, and then maybe he'll come find it. But then, in, but then in Exodus, check this out. In Exodus 23, 4, because before it was talking about brother, look at verse 20, uh, uh, Exodus 23, 4. God's saying, if you meet your enemy's ox, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. And if you see the... The donkey of somebody who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him, you shall release it to him. So, so there's this pattern throughout the scripture of God saying, no, you don't, you don't just hate your enemies, but you do good to them also. In Proverbs 25, 21, scripture says, if your enemy is hungry, you give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, you give him water to drink. And I could give you more examples if I had more time, but the point I'm trying to make is this. Pharisees knew those verses. They knew those verses, but they didn't like it. They didn't like it. Why? It's contrary to our flesh. They didn't like it. And so when they were teaching the people, they were teaching the opposite of that to the Lord or to the people, the opposite of God's heart to the people. And so it's in this context, this group of, not Christian, but, but godly people that were teaching the people, hey, love your enemy, don't love them that much, and I'd rather love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus stands up and, and, and just kind of drops one of the most radical statements in all of his earthly ministry. Again, in verse 43, he says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the Pharisees are teaching you. But I say to you, 
I say to you, and let me just say this, I'm not going to teach long on it, but when Jesus says, when I say to you, that's radical in and of itself because what he's doing is, is he's putting his own words on par with scripture, which would have been offensive enough. But Jesus says, but I say to you, you're to love your enemies. You don't hate your enemies. I'm telling you, you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the command of the scripture. That's what children of God look like. We don't hate our enemies, we love them. Now, kind of at a crossroads in the sermon because when I was preparing for this, I was kind of at this place. I was like, I, I can take this sermon in one or two places at this point because some of the inevitable questions that kind of came to my mind and some of the, I think, inevitable questions that come to our minds when we hear Jesus say we are supposed to, as children of God, love our enemy. So some of the things that come to our minds are like, well, okay, well, what about Hitler? You know, what about ISIS? What about the guy that breaks into my house? You know, what, is, what does that look like? But here's the thing I want you to hear. I want you to listen to me real carefully. Those are important ethical questions. They really are. <clears throat> but I don't want to go down that path today in the sermon, and here's why. Because those are extreme examples of a biblical principle that for, the most, for most of us in this room, it needs to be applied in a situation that's actually occurring in our lives right now. For example, I could spend the rest of our time today talking about whether or not it's okay to shoot somebody that is breaking into your house, or I could talk to you about how we are to deal with a roommate that right now you hate in your heart, which is probably about half of you in the room, amen? We could, we could, I could spend our time talking about, and it would be a fascinating subject. I could talk about whether it was biblically ethical for Christian theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer to have taken part in the plot to assassinate Hitler. Or I could talk about what it looks like to love a husband that is mistreating you. Or to love a wife that has betrayed you. I could talk about that. <clears throat> I could spend our time talking about how we're supposed to respond to people in a foreign country that hate us because of our faith in Christ, or we could talk about how are we supposed to love and respond to the people in our workplace that hate us for our faith in Christ. You see this? Listen, the vast majority of the time, now if we lived in Egypt, if we live in the Sudan, probably a different subject, different story, but for us in America, the vast majority of the time, <coughs> our enemies don't come to us in some life-threatening entity. They don't come in that form. But most of the time, our, our enemies come to us in our life through a person that's mean to us. Or they come to us in the form of somebody that's critical towards us or hurtful towards us or somebody that's betrayed us or somebody that's just simply we don't like or they don't like us or, or they're judgmental and we encounter them and we get at odds with them. And so here's what I want you to do. <coughs> Bring this teaching of Jesus closer to home. Love your enemies. Bring it closer to home. Ask yourself the question, is there anybody in my life right now that hates me? Is there anybody in my life that, that has an issue with me? Is there anybody in my life that I'm at odds with? Is there anybody in my life that I'm not reconciled with? Is there anybody in my life that I've never forgiven because they've hurt me? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's a person that cheated on you in business. It's a roommate, a sorority sister, your spouse, your sibling, your parent, a friend that betrayed you. Think about it for a second. 
Who's a person in, in your life that you're at odd, odds with it for whatever reason? What does it look like for us to be obedient to this call in our lives to love them? What is that going to look like for us? Now, see, <clears throat> the cool thing is Jesus tells us. He tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. He doesn't just say love your enemies and then walk away. He tells us how. So let's look at it together. Matthew 5, 43 and 44, he starts telling us how to do it. Verse 43, he says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy. And then the first thing he says, he says, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. It's the first way Jesus tells us how to love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. Now, as I said before, <coughs> this is such a hard statement of Jesus because it's so contrary to our nature. Somebody hurts me, my, my immediate natural response is to love them. And so how in the world do we get to a place where we obey this and when you think about what Jesus is saying, it's brilliant. When you think about what he's saying, it's brilliant. Because Jesus knows something about us. Jesus knows that we're fallen and sinful people. He knows that it's almost impossible to love somebody that's hurt you or offended you or betrayed you. He knows that about us. And so the first thing he says for us to do when we encounter an enemy, we have an enemy in our life, Step number one, he says, I want you to pray for them. Now, here's the question. Why does he want us to do that first? Why is it the first thing he calls us to do? <clears throat> and here's the answer. And I want you to listen really, really carefully. Because this is something that kind of hit me this week. and I've never thought about it before. <clears throat> I don't think so much that Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies so that God will change their heart towards us. I don't think God so much tells us, pray for your enemies so that God will change their heart towards us. I think Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies so that he will change our heart towards them. That's got to be step one. God wants to change your heart for your enemy first. <clears throat> I've experienced this, this in my life. I don't even think I, I realized it until it happened, the power of it, that and I've shared this story before, and so I'll just say it quickly, but some of y'all remember, I think I not told not, not that long ago, but when I was a youth pastor, I didn't know what I was doing. I was 22, had no clue. I was an idiot. And, and, um, and I would just make all these mistakes, and I, I was disorganized, and I would leave stuff, and all these kids were coming to Christ. It was really cool, and our youth ministry was growing like crazy um, because I could preach, but that's the only thing I could do. And, and I was an idiot the rest of my youth ministry. And this parent, this mom, just, she just did not like me because I was so unorganized. And she got this meeting with my pastor and her. Long story short, she gets me in there. And she said, man, I want you to know you're the worst youth pastor we've ever had in the history of this church. And I looked at my pastor guy. I was like, hey, are you going to let her say that to me? And he was like, well, I kind of agree with her, you know. And so, <coughs> but anyway, super, super, super hurtful. Imagine if you're in that position, you're like a school teacher, somebody brings you in, some parent, you're the worst teacher in the history of school, you're the worst employee in the history of this company. As a 22-year-old kid, that hurt, and I had a lot of bitterness towards her. She, she, she hated my guts, she hated my guts the rest of my time there, a lot of bitterness, had a really difficult time forgiving her. I almost quit the ministry because of that, I came real close. And um, as I got older, and, and I grew in wisdom with age. One of the things I've learned in the ministry is that hurt people hurt people, okay? People that hurt people are usually hurt themselves. And so God kind of began to 
show me that. that I, I realized looking back, that was probably the situation there. And I actually found out that during the time that this actually happened, she was in an incredibly abusive marriage. Husband was unbelievably abusive. They ended up getting divorced. <clears throat> and she was just this hurt woman and kind of tanging it out on me. And so what I began to do when I realized that she was going through that years later is I started praying for her. I started praying for her. The scripture says I'm supposed to pray for my enemies. And as hard as that was, I started praying for her. I prayed that God would bless her. I prayed that God would heal her emotional wounds. And something fascinating began to happen to me. Something began to change in my heart. The, the cords of unforgiveness that had entangled my heart for years began to melt away. Okay, you see that? What God... God, through my prayers, did not change that woman's heart towards me. God, through my prayers, changed my heart for her. God did not change my enemy's heart for me. God changed my heart for my enemies. And it was through God changing my heart through prayer that I was able to get to a place to say, yes, I love this person. And so Jesus knows that about us. And he says, step one with your enemy is you got to start praying. Pray specifically <clears throat> for them. Now, I want to turn uh, to Luke chapter 6. If you want to go with me, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. This is a parallel passage where Jesus is talking about loving our enemies, and he gives us other steps. He gives us other things we can do besides pray. And so, and so Luke chapter 6, verse 27. <clears throat> but he says, but I say to you here, love your enemies. And then watch what he says. He says, do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that mistreat you. Okay, and so there are two ways in this verse here that, that Jesus says we are to put into action loving our enemies. First, he says, do good. Do good to those who hate you. And so, in other words, when somebody does something mean or unkind to you, when somebody hates you, Jesus says our response is to actually do good for them, and that's important. Because what Jesus is teaching us is to love our enemies, listen, doesn't just stop with our change of heart through prayer. Because I think a lot of times we'll start praying for an enemy or somebody we're in conflict with, God will kind of change my heart towards them or our heart towards them so we feel all better about it. But the fact of the matter is that person still hates our guts. And so what Jesus is saying is you don't just stop with your change of heart, but there needs to be a change of heart that, that turns into action. We're actually supposed to do good to those who hate us. <clears throat> and then he takes it a step further on kind of what this doing of good might look like. And watch what he says in verse 27. He says, but, but I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And then verse 28, he says, bless those who curse you. Bless those that curse you. How contrary is that to our nature? The word bless there, it means... It just means to speak good towards somebody, not about them, but to somebody. There's a big difference there. It says, bless those, speak well, speak goodness to that person when they curse you. All right, and here's the point I think Jesus is getting at today. <clears throat> it's prayer that changes our heart, but it's kindness that changes the heart of our enemy. It's prayer that changes our heart in conflict, but it's kindness 
that changes the heart of our enemy. And over and over and over again, we see that pointed to in the scripture. Um, I'm not going to turn there in the scripture, but one of the things that scripture says about our salvation, how God changes our hearts, you remember what it is? He says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so God's interaction with us, what brought us to a place where we turn and repent to him was not his wrath, but his kindness. It's prayer that changes our heart. It's kindness that changes other people's hearts. In Proverbs 15, 1, it's one of the best verses in the Bible right here. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Maybe not the best, but the wise, one of the wisest verses. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Somebody curses you, somebody says uh, is critical to you, somebody does something that hurts when they say it to you, and then you speak kindness back to them, what the scripture says is that will turn away their wrath. But a harsh response does nothing but stir up anger. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> I don't always do this, but that little little nugget right there from the Bible is one of probably the greatest pieces of wisdom I've ever learned in my entire life. And the best thing I could ever do in conflict for my heart is pray. And the best thing I could ever do in conflict with somebody else is be kind. I, um, I, years ago when I was doing, um, I did a four week series on money and giving here at the Austin Center. I think it was maybe 2008 and spent four weeks on it. I think I taught all four. And one of the subjects that I wanted to teach on was tithing, okay? Because that's one of the biggest questions we get whenever we teach on money is, okay, you know, the Old Testament talks about tithing. Is this a New Testament principle? Is this something we should do in the church? What does it look like? Does that mean 10%? <clears throat> and so I wanted to teach on the subject of tithing biblically. I made careful, was very careful not to say, hey, you have to tithe to the Austin Stone. I never said that. I really wanted to stick to the scripture and try to stick to God's heart the text. And a couple days later, I got, which to this day is the most hurtful email I've ever gotten in the history of my 20 years of ministry. Um, <clears throat> this guy wrote me <clears throat> and he, I mean, it, he got real personal. He called me evil. He said, I was manipulative. He said, I love money. Um, might be a false prophet. You can go back and listen to the message. It was as far as I could possibly, that what he was saying about me, which is incredibly hurtful, was as far from the heart of that sermon as I think you can get. And more importantly, for those people that know me well, know that that's as far from my heart, my heart, as you can get. And so, dude, it just, ah, oh, it just hurt me so bad for somebody to be at our church, hear me preach the gospel every week, and then say that about my heart. So it was really, really difficult. And I got the email, I was actually laying in bed and I got the email <clears throat> and um, just total transparency. Some of y'all are probably gonna leave the church after I, I tell you this, but um, my first reaction, the, the thing that I wanted to type so bad, because not only did it hurt, but it made me mad. I wanted to type, um, well, sir, this has upset you so much. It's obvious that money is your God and so you're probably going to hell, you know, sin. That's what I wanted to do, um, but that's not what I did. <clears throat> I prayed. 
started praying for me. And then I prayed for him. I was like, God, I don't know what's going on in this guy's life that he would respond that way. But Lord, I pray you would bless him. I pray that you would heal his heart. I pray that you would reconcile this relationship. And what I wrote, just I couldn't have done this on my own. Supernatural power of God stuff. But I wrote back, I said, I want you to know how sorry I am that I came across that way. I said, it's one of my greatest fears as a pastor that people would misunderstand my heart when I preach, especially on the subject of money. And I said, if I have taught in such a way that's caused you to question that, I wanna ask you if you would please forgive me. And I sent it. And man, I bet it wasn't two minutes later I got a response back. And it was like, because again, the email was so attacking. It was like, it just stunned the guy. It shocked the guy that I wrote back that way. It's like he realized, oh, this guy is a human being that I just called all these names. And his response was fascinating. He, he wrote back and like, man, I, I am so sorry that I talked to you that way. I shouldn't have done that. And we ended up talking on the phone and just had a really, really good conversation, one about money, but two about kind of where that was coming from in his heart. And sure enough, it was coming from a place where he'd been hurt in the past. Now think about it. <clears throat> what if I had responded the way that I wanted to respond? What if I had, what if I had responded, dude, you are going to hell, sinned. All that does is stir up wrath. I've got an enemy and I don't ever get to pass through the guy and get to the root of his heart where he was struggling and there he'd been hurt in his past. Okay, this is what Jesus is saying. When it comes to your enemies, pray and God will change your heart. And as far as it's up to you, do good, be kind, and that's how God goes about changing the other person's heart. Now, what if, what if we applied that to our marriages? Folks, there's a lot of singles and college kids in this room, even at nine o'clock, listen to me. There's gonna come a day where it's not that easy in your marriage. There's going to come a day you're going to look across the table and go, this guy is a moron. What if, you will, all the college girls are like, no, I'll never think that about him. No, you will. What if you applied, what if we applied this in our marriages? Conflict arises, and it always does. What if, what if step one is you start praying, not that God would change their heart necessarily, but you just pray blessing over your husband, even though he's mistreating you. God, would you bless him? God, would you show him your face? God, would you show him your love? Would, he, would, you, would you let him experience, God, just your glory today? God will start changing your heart towards him. And then what if you started doing good for him? What if you responded with, when he responds in anger, you respond in kindness? How could that change your marriage. What about, what about your boss, the guy that <coughs> mistreats you, treats you like garbage, treats you like a number? What if you prayed for him? What if that's step one, you start praying for him? How could God change just your everyday life because your heart's changed because you're praying for the person you don't like? You did good to him or her. You, you spoke blessing to them, not for personal gain, but because God has called you as a child of God to love your enemies. What about the friend that stabbed you in the back and betrayed you? And you've been carrying around <clears throat> that angst and that anger and that bitterness for years. 
How amazing would it be if today you started praying for that person, praying for God's blessing on their life, and that this week somehow, some way, you did good to them and that you spoke a blessing to them. It'll change your life and you're obedient to your Father who's in heaven. And I want to kind of start landing the plane on the message today by answering this question. <coughs> why? <coughs> it's probably the most important question. Is why does God call us to love our enemies? Well, there's two reasons why he wants us to do this. God's not just telling us to do this so we'll be nice. There's some really specific reasons why you and I are to love these people in our lives. The first one's found right here in this text, Matthew 5, 43. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So that, here's the answer, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Now Jesus is not saying here that you loving an enemy is what saves you, but what Jesus is saying is that there might be no greater evidence in your life that God has saved you. There might be no greater evidence in your life that God has a hold of your heart. There, there, be, there may be no greater evidence that you have the mind of Christ and that you've been made a new creation than when you're a person that is able to love an enemy in your life. What Jesus is saying is that lost people don't love their enemies. It's not what they do. But changed people, saved people do. In John 13, 35, Jesus says this. He says, by this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When you think about that, that is so true. Why does he say all men are going to know? Because nobody in the world loves their enemies. It's contrary to everybody's flesh, but when you're a person that all of a sudden somebody offends you, hurts you, and you love them in return, everybody in the world is going to look at that and go, man, that's not normal. That's different. Where did, you do, where did you get that? Where did you get that power? Where's that coming from? Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. <clears throat> and then I think the, the last reason that God calls us to love our enemies, and I want you to hear this really carefully. There may be no more tangible, physical expression of the gospel than when we love our enemies. Maybe with the exception of a, of, of a godly marriage, which we know explicitly in Ephesians that that's, that's a picture of the gospel, but apart from a, a good marriage that unselfishly and endlessly loves one another, there's probably not a more tangible, physical picture of how God demonstrates his love to the world than when you and I walk out those doors and we love our enemies. Real quick, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God <coughs> demonstrates, demonstrates, he shows us, he demonstrates his own love toward us. How did God, it says, this is how God showed us his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
much more than having now been justified or saved by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And that always freaks people out because you're like, what do you mean God was mad at me? Yes, God was mad at you because of your sin. When we sinned, our relationship with God was not neutral. When we sinned, we weren't just separated from God. The scripture says that when we sin because of his absolute holiness, his utter and complete holiness, we were deserving of his divine wrath in our life. And therefore, the scripture has a name for us before we are saved by his blood. The scripture calls us enemies of God. He goes on in verse 10. It says, for a while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having now been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There might be no greater way that you can display God's love to this world when you love your enemy. Why? Because when you were an enemy, God loved you. Amen? Amen. Now, for people like me, That's, that's difficult to be the motivation for it because there's some of you in the room, not all of you, but there's some of you in the room like me <clears throat> that for whatever reason you, you struggle to believe that God loves you that much. That when you were an enemy, he, he loved you and died for you. I've always, it's just kind of this, I've looked at my own sinfulness and it's always been this quiet part of my heart where I'm like, how, how could God love me? God did a really powerful in my work in my life, and I'm done after this. Hang with me. I, really super powerful work in my heart just a few weeks ago in regards to me really believing his love for me. <coughs> I, uh, Aaron and I, we were right out the doors over here, and we were getting ready to walk out, and for some reason, <clears throat> we were talking about our first memories. And he kind of told me what his was, just kind of the first thing we were aware of in life, and and I remember what my first memory was. I've taught about, I've not taught about it, I've thought about it many times because it was with my mother and my mom's passed away and I've thought about it. It was a really sweet moment with my mom. I, was, I think I was two because we moved from this house when I was three, so I had to be younger than three. <clears throat> and the first memory of my whole life <clears throat> was I was laying in my mom's lap and it was the middle of the night. It was dark outside. She had a lamp on. We were in the rocking chair and I had an earache. And I guess I was up hollering or something because she was rocking me and she was singing Jesus loves me to me. That's my first memory of my whole 42-year-old life is my mother rocking me singing Jesus loves me. A lot of memories since then, that's the first one. And there was something about me telling Aaron that, that it hit me. That the very first words I ever remember hearing in this whole life of mine was Jesus saying to me, I love you. It's the first words I ever remember hearing. And the truth of that just, right there, it just messed me up. And I started weeping and I walked in the door and I was just saying over and over again, Jesus, I love you too. I love you too. It's the first words I ever remember hearing. And here's the thing. God knew that I was gonna grow up and be a man that failed him 10,000 times. He knew 
that I was going to grow up and run from him and fail and fall and cheat on him and sin against him and rebel against him 10,000 times. He knew that about me when I was laying in my mother's lap that night. And yet he loved me enough to say, first words I'd ever remember, Matt, I love you. And if he can love somebody like me, then I absolutely can walk out these doors and love my enemies because that's what he's asked me to do. And I want to because, because I am a son of my father in heaven. All right, let's pray together. (coughs) Father, This is a difficult thing you've asked us to do. And so what I just want to, I want to lift up right now what I know is many people in this room that are in conflict with folks, that are in difficult marriages, that that have friends that have betrayed them, that have people that hurt them, and, and they've been harboring and holding bitterness in their heart for a really, really long time. Lord, I pray that for every believer in the room that's in that place, that they would stop for just a second and they would remember that while they were enemies of you, you loved them. That there there was a day where they were lost, they were running from you, they were rebelling against you, they were deserving of, of your wrath, and yet you came after them. You did good to them. You loved them, you saved them. You adopted them. You made them sons and daughters. Father, how in the world could we not show that love to this world? Give us the strength to do that, God. Do a great work in our hearts today that we might be sons and daughters of our Father who's in heaven. We love you, Lord. We praise you today. God, we want to stop and worship you for that great love that you loved us with because you're worthy of it. And so it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together.